morning, Jeff. <laughs> Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here this morning. Thanks for joining us online. Hello to Grundy Center, those of you gathered out there. Buckle up. In this next 20 minutes or so, you will experience turbulence. Not because I'm teaching. I know that's what you're thinking, but, but because that is the name of this series, as Doug mentioned, you will experience turbulence. Did anyone besides me ever dream of flying in a fighter jet? Anybody think about that? Can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of the first people to break through the sound barrier? This is a picture of a jet actually breaking through the sound barrier. Isn't that cool? That would be so amazing. When my dad used to take me fishing up north in Minnesota when I was a kid, fighter jets would fly over every now and then. Occasionally, boom, one of the jets would reach over 750 miles per hour, and they would crash through the sound barrier, and it would send this big sonic boom up through the river valley, bouncing off the canyon walls, totally disrupting the serene north woods, right? I loved it. It was, it was awesome. Evidently, I was reading about this, in early attempts to crash through the sound barrier, uh, as, as the pilots would approach that barrier, their planes would get shaken so violently by the turbulence that the pilots would lose control. And when they didn't lose control, their planes often just broke apart by the violent shaking. And then one day, boom, Chuck Yeager crashes through the sound barrier. And immediately on the other side, his plane bursts into flames. Just kidding. Actually, he gets to the other side, and it's totally smooth. And that's because, as everyone knows, supersonic aerodynamics are much simpler than subsonic aerodynamics because the air sheets along the plane no longer affect each other. You all knew that. Engineers, I love it. We are flying through some turbulent times right now, just as Doug was praying about. Many of us are experiencing bumpiness, loss of control, some of us even violent disruption in our lives. We're in the midst of this divisive, often hostile political season. We've seen issues of race and privilege and policing tearing apart communities across our country. The coronavirus just won't go away. We're wondering what's going to happen to our economy. 200,000 people have lost their lives. Wildfires are burning out west. In our own backyard, people have, have, have lost homes and, and lost all kinds of things because of the derecho, the, the windstorm that passed through here. This is hard stuff. Talking to Taylor, who's playing in our band this morning, about how hard it is to do school right now. He's an administrator up at Denver. It's hard to do church right now. Not only a challenge of a church budget, but then, then we haven't worshipped in Waverly at the middle school or in our sanctuary here in Cedar Falls since March. 27 weeks since we've last worshiped together in person in those places. We're being asked to RSVP. There's been no kids' ministry until this morning, right? We're being asked to wear masks, to get in, to get out, not to linger, to do all this stuff. We don't even recognize our own church anymore. This is hard. Can we just acknowledge that together? That's an accurate perspective. This is a hard time. And God is not surprised 
by any of it. In fact, Jesus calls this stuff birth pains. In other words, this stuff will lead to new life. There's something new coming from this stuff. When my wife was, was pregnant with our oldest, Lewis, uh, we checked into Mercy in Iowa City at about 11 p.m., I think it was a Saturday night. We had no idea that she would experience contractions and severe labor pains for the next 18 hours. I have no idea how she endured that, other than she's a heck of a lot tougher than I am. Finally, after 18 hours with one final push, there's Lewis. I were just ecstatic, the sheer joy and exhaustion in that delivery room. You know, the thing about birth pains is you never know how long they're going to last. And you never know when that final push is going to break through the barrier, is going to produce new life. But if we will persevere, if we will endure through the pain, through the struggle, life, joy, eventually crashes through like a sonic boom. What if we were to see our struggles, our pain, our suffering as labor pains? What if God is wanting to use painful times in our lives to help develop perseverance so that he can birth new life and real hope in us and through us? Our world is being shaken violently and people are waiting for someone to break through the barriers of hostility and division and suffering and pain and fear with authentic, fresh expressions of Jesus' humility, courage, hope. And this morning, I want to suggest that God wants to use our present trials to develop perseverance because perseverance is the birthplace of humility, courage, hope, and the new life that we need desperately. Paul explained it to us this way in a letter that he wrote to the Christians who were struggling in Rome hundreds of years ago. He writes this, he says, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has been given to us. Paul says suffering provides the context for our perseverance. And character and hope are born out of that perseverance. Jesus' brother James got this. He also wrote to a bunch of, of followers who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire going through their own struggles. And I love how Eugene Peterson captures what James wrote to them. Listen to this. James says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. 
James says, God wants to make us whole. He wants to make you mature. He doesn't want us to lack anything. It's like he's saying, cheer up. There's an incredible opportunity in these challenges. Both Paul and James, are, are, and Paul actually says, listen, God wants to pour his heart into us to help us to persevere. Both Paul and James are saying, let's reframe how we think about challenges and trials from something that we don't want to something that we actually know is good for us. Welcome and persevere through challenges because perseverance grows your faith. It's essential for forming a more whole and new you. They might say to us right now, don't waste this pandemic. Don't waste the trial. Don't waste the pain. Don't waste the hardship of it. It has something to teach us. God actually wants to use this time to form us into something new, something more whole. How in the world does that happen? You know, Paul and James aren't saying that the coronavirus or centuries of racial oppression and division or divisive politics or messed up marriages or addictions or illnesses of all kinds, he's not saying that those things are gifts from God. He's not saying be happy about all of that stuff that's making your life feel like it's about to be broken apart. Paul and James are encouraging us to look at these challenges in light of our faith. Faith is the gift. Faith opens us up to receive God's spirit of love and power and self-discipline so that we can persevere and hope can break through so we can cross a barrier into new life. Right? A whole life, not lacking anything. This is how we as individuals and we as the church will learn to thrive and become a blessing to our broken world. I was thinking about my own life, how this rings true. I think about four different uh, periods in my life that were kind of extended significant times where I experienced some pain or some struggle. The first was when my parents divorced when I was in high school. And then again when Cindy broke off our engagement. Thank God that didn't work. Third, when my good friend Grant Wheeler was killed in a car accident. And then again when Cindy and I experienced some challenges when we were parenting our teenaged kids. Some of you are in those challenges now and you know exactly what we're talking about. It's hard. But as I, as I reflected upon these times in my life, you know what it was that stands out the most? That many of these were the times where I felt closest to God. God felt closest to me in these times of struggle and challenge. As I look back, it was during each of them that I experienced his power and his presence in my life. And it wasn't just like, I'm not talking about just feelings, of a feeling. I'm talking about real, tangible stuff. Like when I was in high school, God provided a couple of leaders in my life. So when things were, were hard at home, they helped me process, they encouraged me, they walked with me through that time. When, 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 when Cindy and I experienced uh, challenges with parenting our teenaged kids, 
there were some friends and some wise people from this church who were five or ten years ahead of us who had been through some of the battles already who came to us and they offered us their prayers. They offered us their wisdom, their compassion, their encouragement, and it helped us get through some really tough times. When my friend Grant died, a friend of his wife's gave me a verse And I prayed this verse over and over. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And when I couldn't pray this, I know that others were praying it for me. And God was pouring his spirit in me to groan on my behalf. And you know what? I experienced God's presence in those moments. I experienced his power, his strength, his his healing compassion. I'm pretty sure I've never felt so much love from friends, from people, from complete strangers in this church. And if you ask me, that was the power of Jesus' resurrection, the power of his suffering for me. His love and his power poured into me through his spirit, through others. And it strengthened my faith. It helped me to persevere. And it produced hope. And there was new life on the other side of these struggles. Perseverance is so much more than suck it up, buttercup. But hear that? Or when the going gets tough... The tough get going. That's right. Well, this is the stuff we hear. There's a certain amount of perseverance, sure, that that requires some of these things. But Paul and James want to remind us of the gift of our faith. They say, don't forget this incredible gift that, that the power of Jesus' resurrection, his very presence is available to us. God wants to give us everything we need to break through the barriers that are holding us back. It's under pressure that we discover the true colors, the true power of our faith? Will we turn to God and persevere so that he can finish his good work in us? Will we trust him to make us whole, not lacking anything? Will we cling to our faith and watch God come through? That's the incredible opportunity in turbulence. And we don't want to miss out on this opportunity This was Paul's experience in life. He was beaten multiple times. He was shipwrecked. He was thrown into prison. He was naked. He was cold. He was starving a lot of that time. And yet, he persevered. In letter after letter, he wrote to Christians in the first century. They're filled with with hope and joy and love and strength. How did he do this? Well, in one a passage that many people credit to Paul, he explains it this way. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary 
and lose heart. I'm not a real big fan of formulas, you know, do this and this is going to happen. But I do think that Paul gives us three practical steps that we could take that could help us run with perseverance and crash through barriers to a more whole life that brings hope to us but also to those around us. And it begins with perspective. Perseverance begins with perspective. Well, where in the world does Paul say this? I'm glad you asked. He says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What does that mean? Who are these witnesses? Again, great question. And Paul actually tells us who these witnesses are in the chapter right before he writes these, these words to us. He lists a bunch of people who are in the hall of fame for their faith. People like Moses and Joseph and Rahab and David and all these prophets. And Paul says every one of them were invited to be part of God's family just like you. Invited to be part of God's life and his work in this world. And every one of them experienced incredibly difficult trials in their life. Many of them were flogged or tortured. One of them was even sawed in two. Some of them were thrown in prison. And here's the kicker. None of them lived long enough to witness the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Now let that give you a little perspective. These people lived hard lives, but they believed God was good. They never saw the promise of God fulfilled. They never saw the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And yet they lived their lives believing in the promise and believing God is good. And they crashed through so many barriers in their lifetimes. We, on the other hand, we live in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Perseverance begins with perspective. I was out for a run on Friday morning. I was thinking about perspective, and I'm running down the trail, down the river, by the river, and um, in, the, in the distance, I see this red blob kind of coming towards me, and after it gets a little closer, I see it's another runner, and, and all of a sudden, it kind of weaves to one side of the trail, and then kind of weaves back to the other side of the trail, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is this person drunk? Are they going to come over and breathe on me as I'm running by? You know, what's going on? And, I, and nothing happens. We pass. We smile. Everything's okay, you know. I go down to my turnaround point. I turn around. I come back. I'm running for a while. And then I see this big tree limb in the middle of the trail covering my half of the trail. I have to move over to the other side and then move back to my side. I had run by this tree limb without even noticing it coming from the other direction. But now suddenly I'm running in his footsteps, and it dawns on me, this is why he weaved over to my side and weaved back. I had a new perspective. Paul says that's, that's what he's saying about this great cloud of witnesses. They have run the race. They have a different perspective to offer us. Run in their footsteps. See what they saw. Life is hard, but God is good. God will come through. God always comes through. 
And remember, we have an advantage. We live in light of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the fulfillment of God's promise. His spirit of power and love is available to us as he pours it into us to help us persevere. Perseverance begins with perspective. Second, Paul says, put aside sin and things that so easily uh, entangle us and hinder us. He says, he says, throw it out. Get rid of it. Put it aside begins with P, like perseverance. A few years ago, I was, I was struggling. And my wife said, well, why don't you go see somebody? Why don't you go talk to a counselor or somebody and get some help? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I don't need that kind of help. I'm not that bad off. It took my wife convincing me to put aside my shame, this feeling that it was weak to go ask for help. I'm so glad I did. Maybe that's hindering some of you, a, a, a stubbornness to ask for help. I used to check the news several times throughout the day. I'd get a little break in my day. I'd go and I'd want to see what the headlines are, news, weather, sports. You know, some people play games. Some people uh, uh, watch Netflix. I would, I would check the news. And then I noticed something. There's so much negativity. There, there was so much bad news. It was like weighing me down, and it was, it was stressful. So guess what I did? I put it aside. I stopped. Now, sports are back, so I'm kind of checking some of that again. But I put that aside. I don't check every day. You know what I found out? If something big happens, generally somebody informs me, and I can go check it out myself. But I put it aside because it was hindering me. And I've experienced so much freedom by not being weighed down by all that negativity. What, what habits, not outright sin, but maybe just some time-sucking habits might God be asking you to put aside and to throw off? And then I was thinking about this too as I, as I look around the world. It's obvious that there are some things that are hindering some of our friends, some other people from experiencing the fullness of life. Paul would ask us to enter into their struggle Right, to think about what's getting in their way, to help them put aside anything that's keeping them from a more whole life so that perseverance can bring new life and hope to our world. There are things that hinder us that are not sin. Circumstances, shame, stubborn refusal to ask for help, negativity, denial, What's the last time you took a look at your life, at what might be hindering you? Is there anything that might be holding you back? Or as you look around the world, is there anything that's maybe holding others back, creating turbulence, keeping us from a more full life? There are things that hinder us, and then there's sin. Sin that Paul says entangles us. Stuff that we choose that's outside of what God says is his best for us. Stuff that's in opposition to his perfect will. Selfishness, greed, lust, 
lack of forgiveness, hatred. When's the last time you examined your life for the presence of sin? Paul says, do it, put it aside. God forgives you, throw it off and run with perseverance. Perseverance begins with perspective. It begins with putting aside sin and the things that hinder us. And third, fix your eyes on Jesus. I got to get better at this alliteration thing, I realize. That's fix our eyes on Jesus, Paul says. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. It's his spirit at work in us and through others, helping us to persevere and make our lives complete. So so whenever I have a trial or struggle, the first thing I do is I fix my eyes on Jesus. I wish. Whenever I experience trials and struggles, the first thing I, I look at, what's causing them? And then maybe my eyes go to, how do I fix them? What do I remove? How do I find some solutions? It's not the way Jesus operated. When Jesus encountered struggles, he looked immediately to his father. He always had his eyes on heaven. No bread, no fish, no food, no problem. I'll ask my father. When Jesus faced death, he fixed his eyes on his father, the king with unlimited resources. So Paul says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Consider him, he says. Consider who he is. Consider what he's done. He's the author. He's the creator. He was there at the beginning of time, at the beginning of this world. He he created the trees. He created the animals. He painted a, a billion stars in the skies. One of the ways I fix my eyes on Jesus is just to get out in the woods, go for a run or a walk, and take in the beauty of his creation and remember who it is that created this and gave it to me to enjoy, gives it to all of us for our enjoyment. Billions of stars and galaxies. When's the last time you stood outside or went out in the country and looked up and just took in the stars and the galaxies? He he gives us the energy that keeps all of this moving. When's the last time you considered the power of Jesus, the goodness and the kindness of Jesus? When's the last time you, you read one of the historical accounts of Jesus written by Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, some of the people who, who lived their lives with Jesus? When was the last time you looked with fresh eyes at Jesus' power and compassion and love and mercy and truth and grace? How might doing that help you to fix your eyes on Jesus and run to him in prayer so he can strengthen your faith and help you persevere? How might we get some perspective put aside sin and the things that that hinder us and fix our eyes on Jesus so we can persevere. Perseverance is the birthplace of the life and the hope we desperately need. Will you pray with me? God, life is hard. Life is, is normally hard. And then we get all this other stuff going on, thrown around us, some of the stuff that Doug prayed about earlier today. 
There's just no denying, God, life is hard right now, but we believe you are good. And God, we want to believe what Paul says and what James says, that, that there's incredible opportunity in our struggles, that if we persevere, we're going to find new life, whole life, hope. God, we could use that. Will you give us perspective? Will you help us examine our lives and put aside sin and anything that hinders? God, will you teach us how to fix our eyes on Jesus so we can run with perseverance and break through barriers to take hold of the life and the hope that you want to pass on to us and through us to bless this world. In your name we pray.